5, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago before we had our national pastor, Kwame Midakor, here. As you're turning here, uh, I have a good friend here with me this morning. This is Ryan Horsfall and his wife, Lydia. They are from Ohio. Um, Ryan, uh, one of the craziest guys I've ever met, and uh, he felt really sorry for me. Um, as I've shared my testimony in the past, some of you know that I planted a church in Indianapolis area before we moved here. And, uh, you know, when you're planning a church, you just have all kinds of excess money laying around. And uh, <laughs> Ryan takes a look. He goes, oh, that's sorry, poor fellow. He needs a job. And uh, Ryan was the manager at CVS. And uh, he goes, I need some help. And uh, you look like you really need help. So uh, he gave me a job and hired me. And uh, we became good friends unloading trucks at 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he couldn't get anyone else to do it for 3 in the morning, and I needed the job. So <laughs> there's a lot of good times, a lot of good memories, and just have been a constant encouragement. And uh, calls me out of the blue every once in a while, just leaves a message. And uh, it's been a huge encouragement to me over the years, huge. When no one else was there, Ryan was always there, and I appreciate that very much. Glad to have him with us this weekend. Not to mention their little beautiful little Izzy. The last time I saw her, she was like barely two years old. And uh, we stopped out of the blue in Canton area and just tried to be an encouragement to them for a few minutes. They ended up being an encouragement to us and, and so forth. So that's it's their turn to drive since I think it's actually twice at your house now, once at ours. So we're still up on you once. Yeah, who's counting? So anyway, James chapter 5, choosing to speak with honesty. And, uh, you know, as we've been going through this book of James, he's been given so many practical applications as to how we're to live life and how we're to um, be an example of being a person who truly has faith in Jesus Christ and how that's to be lived out. But have you ever had dealings with someone to whom you wish you did not have a good feeling about? Um, it's one of those uneasy situations whereby you are not convinced that they're telling you the truth. And they know you're not buying into what they're telling you. So, in an effort to convince you, they may say something like, I swear to you on my father's grave. I swear to you on my mother's grave. Uh, I pinky finger promise you that. And they fill in the blank. Um, I've had a few of those circumstances over the years, and I can remember just in buying my last truck, and not this last one, but the, the gold truck. And I look at this, and I see all these miles on it. But the guy says, but they're not all there. He said, really? He said, the dashboard has been changed out? I'm sitting there going, okay. No, I really, it's true. He goes, I, I, I can give you proof of it. Okay, where's the proof? Well, it's so-and-so did it for me. I go over to check out so-and-so, and they say, I didn't do that. But, you know, you get that uneasy feeling. And in an effort to convince you, they say, well, I promise you that, or I swear on my mother's grave that, and you fill in the blank, because they're trying to give you proof of what they're saying is true, but you're not really buying it. Because really, in our culture, lying has become so common that it's all aware, and it's on every side of us. We never had to sit our kids down and say, okay, now, David, this is how you tell a lie. First of all, you get them all hooked. We don't have to do that in our culture, do we? We teach our kids not to lie because God's Word says that we are all sinners. We're born with that sin nature. And we teach our kids to tell the truth. We, teach, we expect that of those around us that they're telling us the truth. But in our culture, 
it's not the case, oftentimes. In fact, if you would just for a moment, we are going to be in, in uh, James chapter 5, but I want to highlight a verse in Matthew chapter 5. I just want to highlight it, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, Jesus talks about this. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne, or by the earth because it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of our great King. Neither should you swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. So he makes it very clear in his own teaching that we are to be people of our word. We should learn to speak with honesty. Learn to speak with character so that our word actually means something when we make an agreement. It used to be said that if you shake someone's hand, it says a handshake was better than anything. Because he's a man of his word or, or a woman of her word. But today, that's not always the case. People can look right to your face and tell you what you want to hear and turn around and do the exact opposite. That's the culture in which we live. Lying has become so common. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says this, Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. What's he saying here? Bottom line is, when we became Christians, as we became child of God, God's Word said there is something innately different about us. The things that used to be in your life before you claimed to know Christ should no longer be there. You are now a child of God. You live differently. And that's what he's saying in the past tense. Since you put away lying, speak the truth. We're to be people because of who we are, because of our relationship to one another in the body of Christ, we should be speaking the truth according to God's Word. And not only that, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says this. It says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. So there should be this difference, this marked change in our life, that we are people who speak with integrity, people who speak with honesty in all of our dealings. That's what God expects of us. So, we come into James chapter 5, verse 12, and our text for today says this. Now, above all. Now, you see those three words, now, above all. What's he referring to? After everything I've said, now, let's deal with this. And what did he just talk about? Well, you look in the back, the preceding text, he talks about in beginning of verse 7. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Here you are, you're waiting, just as you're waiting for the crops to produce fruit. You are waiting patiently until the rains come and nourish it and it produces the fruit. Until the Lord comes, you're going to be patiently waiting. And he goes on, verse 8, You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another. So we're not to complain one another. He tells us how we're to live while we are waiting. So that you will not be judged. Look at the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke to the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. 
See, we count as blessed those who have endured. And you have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now He says, no, above all that, above the waiting, above the patience, above looking at the examples that Christ gave to us through Job, above all that, He says, My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes must be yes and your no must be no so that you won't fall under judgment. Well, let's take a moment just to pray and ask the Lord's blessing as we continue in His Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for the opportunity to continue in our study of Job. And I pray, God, that You would truly speak to our hearts that we might live out what we say is in our heart and our life. God, help us not just to claim the name of Christ, but help us to live it out in our day-to-day actions. God, help us to be true in our faith. And that this might be a further characteristic, further test of a true relationship with you. And now, Lord, I, I pray for this opportunity that we have to look at your word. Might we learn from it? Might we grow from it this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice the weight of importance that James places on this. He says, now above all, and more than all these other things, on top of everything we have shared, above all the exhortations, above all the commands, above all the examples that He's given to us, He says, you must be a person who lives out your faith by speaking the truth with honesty. And He's talking specifically about the oaths that we sometimes swear. Um, He says, really, what we say is a picture of what is in our hearts. And we find an example of that in Matthew chapter 12, And verse 34, what we say out of our mouth is really a picture of what is in our hearts. I don't know if you've ever really thought about it that way, but look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. He says, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. In fact... We're told in the Old Testament, it says, out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ultimately, what we carry in our hearts, in other words, what we think upon, what we dwell on, what we meditate on, what what occupies our mind, will eventually come out of our hearts. If you are a person who gripes and complains, it will come out. If you're a person who likes to murmur about everything, it will come out. If you're a person who rejoices at everything, it will come out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what he's saying here, we need to be people of integrity. So he reminds us once again that what is in our heart is eventually what's going to come out. So whether you shake hands with somebody, or whether you sign an agreement, or whether you swear by heaven and earth, regardless of how you deal with that business dealing, the heart will ultimately be revealed by what is spoken. And so he's reminding them here. And you have to remember, you have to constantly go back as we've gone through this entire book. We go back to the beginning in James chapter 1 and how these people were what? They were displaced from their homelands. They're going to a new place. They're in a new culture. They're in a new tradition. They're in a new land. And he's reminding them over and over who they are. And I can only imagine being in their shoes or their sandals just for a moment. Being uprooted, taking only what you can carry with you to a new land. And we've been constantly being reminded that they're constantly being reminded themselves of the things that are to be characteristic of a person who follows Christ. So in all these new situations that they're coming, he reminds them, this is another test of your faith. Are you truly a child of God? We're going to see that by the end of this passage. Are you truly a child of God? 
Get the context of what he's saying here. James is not referring to ones taking the name of the Lord in vain. That's clear. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says what? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's not specifically what he's talking about here. He's referring to the taking of oaths or swearings, quote-unquote, either by heaven or earth. You see, the Jewish folks to whom he was writing had brought their practices swearing, of swearing oaths from the Old Testament with them into the New Testament era. This was not uncommon as there were no contracts. They didn't have agreements. They didn't have legal Zoom. They didn't go to, you know, to the law, law office website and fill out their little contracts. They had no such thing. In fact, you'll find in the New Testament, that was often in the job of the scribes. The scribes who were sometimes legal analysts, so to speak, of their day, they would go into the center courts and they would set up agreements and they would swear, so to speak, an oath of agreement. So there was no contracts per se. There was no signature that would bind them to a, a specific agreement whereby that if they did not fulfill it, they could be taken to court and sued later. That was not in the realm of thinking in those days. So the Old Testament... Jewish would, the Jewish people would often, on purpose, knowing full well they were not going to fulfill their obligation, they would swear by heaven and earth. Not an uncommon practice. So it was like they were using God as their witness that they would fulfill a stated commitment. They tried to make, because they were religious, they tried to make God be their quote-unquote unseen witness in their agreement. One thing we may not understand or be aware of is this. Scripture is full of examples of those who swore oaths and those who required others to swear oaths. And we'll not take the time to get in, but let me just give you a a couple examples very quickly. In uh, Genesis chapter 21, verses 25 through 31, we see an example of Abraham with Abimelech uh, swearing an oath that he had dug dug the wells that were there. Later, Abraham required his servant to take... Uh, an oath concerning what wife he would take in Genesis chapter 24. In uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 12 through 20, Rahab, with the two spies, she swore an oath and made the people that she was with swear an oath that her family would be protected. David, with Jonathan over, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 2 Samuel chapter 21, they swore oaths together that they would not do certain things and that they would not betray each other. It was not uncommon for folks to swear an oath. James' concern is not that no one ever swears an oath, but the means by which they swear the oath. It's one thing to swear by heaven and earth, and quite another to swear by the name of God. Once again, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, I want to read once again beginning of verse 33. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. So where's the difference here? If you're going to swear an oath by the, to the Lord, you have to what? Keep it. Don't be fickle in what you say. Don't, don't be hesitant that if you make this agreement, you must fulfill it, especially if it is an oath to the Lord. So he makes it very clear here. You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. He says, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. It's better not to have the oath. It's better not to try have to convince somebody that you're going to do something that you say you're going to do. Or that, you're not going to, that you will fulfill what you say you will fulfill. So he says, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Either by heaven, because it is God's throne... Or by earth, because it is his footstool. 
or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of our great king. Neither should you swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But here's the key. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And he talks about this in John chapter 8. He says, you lie because you have your father the devil. See, if your father is Jesus Christ, lying should not be a part of your life. But he says, if you're a liar, it's because you're of your father the devil. And it really gives proof and credence once, once again to whether or not you are a child of God by what comes out of your mouth. So it's a test, once again, of whether or not they have true faith. So, the example is found here in, in, in um, Matthew chapter 5. He says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. I want to take just a moment and read uh, just a short excerpt from what John MacArthur says about this. I like his commentary uh, on this particular passage. So I want to just read this just for a moment and how he explains this. The phrase, you have heard that the ancients were told, does not refer to the teaching of Old Testament, but to rabbinic tradition. The declaration, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord, appears on the surface to be in harmony with the Old Testament teaching regarding the sacredness of taking oaths. But there was a hidden, quote-unquote, out in it. Rabbinic teaching held that only vows to the Lord were binding. So, get this, in the teaching, only if they were to swear an oath or a vow to the Lord did they have to fulfill it. See, a vow given by heaven or earth, well, it would imply that I'm talking about God. God is not in the vow. It would imply that we're making the spiritual by God as my unseen witness. Oh, I swear by heaven. But see, that's the hidden out in rabbinical teaching. It wasn't specifically a vow to the Lord, though it would appear to be a spiritual vow. Let's go on here just for a moment. He says this. Teaching held that only vows to the Lord were binding. So in their thinking, God was only a party to an oath if his name were invoked in the oath. All other oaths they taught could be, and were intended to be, violated without committing perjury. So much as people in our, in our culture invalidated their vows by saying, I had my fingers crossed, I, uh, attempting to deceive others, many Jews would swear by heaven. Jerusalem, the temple, the altar in the temple, the veil of the temple, their own heads, etc. Anything but the name of the Lord. Such evasive swearing was intended to hide their lying hearts. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 through 22, Jesus condemned the Jewish religious leaders for their hypocritical practices. So it's kind of an idea that I want to sorry, somehow convince you that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm going to fulfill our agreement. And I swear by heaven and earth that I'll do it. Knowing full well that it's not going to be fulfilled. So, what's the alternative? James chapter 5, in his exhortation, gives us the exact alternative. So he says in Matthew 5, don't even swear an oath. Don't be involved with that. Don't try to convince somebody that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Don't try to convince somebody that what you say is true. Don't try to convince somebody by using an oath. What's the alternative? Well, James 5.12 gives us that. He says, Now above all, after everything he said, after everything he shared, my brothers do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. (coughs) Here's the answer. Your yes must be yes. And your no must be no. 
so that you won't fall under judgment. So what's the alternative? You be an honest person. Say, that's it? Yep, that's it. Be an honest person that when you say yes, it means yes. And when you say no, it means no. See, it really is that simple. You be a person of your word. You do what God has called you to do. You be honest. In fact, over and over, He tells us in the Old Testament, you're not to lie. He tells us in the New Testament, speak the truth in love. Over and over, we are to be people who are in, have integrity in our words. We jokingly say when we were down south in uh, Texas, you go out and you invite folks to church, say, hey, I'd love to invite you to church Sunday morning. And man, I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, they'll say, oh man, that sounds great, i see you. Now, what's the address over there? Give them the address and you're getting all excited they're going to come. They have no intention of coming. But they got you off their porch. Woo! That's kind of the idea here. Sometimes it's the idea that we don't really mean what we say. We might say it with sincerity. We might say it with all good intentions. But the bottom line is, our word is not true and we can't count on it. So he reminds us very carefully, very simply. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. So people enter into agreements every day which they have no intention of fulfilling. And it's sad that we live in this kind of world. If you've ever been involved with management of realty, this is a normal thing. Um, I've got a friend who's a realtor. You all know Dave Single. He's been here many times. He's shared from our pulpit. But he's a realtor by trade. And he says, Ken, he says, even though I may have people, and, I, and he tells me what's going on in a given week, and I'll say, hey, Dave, what are you doing today? He goes, well, I've got to go down to the courthouse. The courthouse. And I said, oh, what are you going down there for today? He goes, oh, i got another tenant who hasn't paid me in seven months. This is a normal thing. As much as you try to screen, as much as you try to work things out, but here's the thing. He goes, Ken, he said, do you realize? He says, they have signed contracts. They have agreements. I've went in there after they got, got behind and set up a new payment plan that they've signed and agreed to. He goes, i got documents signed all day long. He said, you know what it really means most of the time? Nothing. He said, because most of the time it doesn't matter. The bottom line is we live in a culture where people have no intention of keeping their word. And that's in so many different fields that, that are in our culture today. And he says a simple answer is this. Be a person of integrity. If you say yes, it should mean yes. If you say no, it should mean no. So the bottom line is be a person of integrity. And he reminds us as we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Since you put away lying... Who is he speaking to here? These are, back in James chapter 1, these are believers who have been spread abroad, right? So he's talking to people who claim to know Jesus Christ. And so he says, since you put away lying, that's past tense. It's what should be a characteristic of a person who knows Jesus Christ. It's in the past. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. Because we are members one of another. Because we are members in the body of Christ. Because we should live that way. Don't be a liar. So we're to understand... For, for, secondly, is that judgment will fall on those who swear false oaths. What kind of judgment here? We see in, in James chapter 5, verse 12, it says this once again. So that you won't fall under judgment. Well, Scripture is full of all kinds of words that are translated judgment. Uh, there are probably three or four main words in the original language that are translated judgment. But this particular judgment is a very surreal judgment. 
It's not the judgment that there will be punishment that is temporary. It's not a judgment that says that you'll miss specific blessings. It's not a judgment that just says you're going to be withheld from because you didn't do such and such. This is the judgment that is translated eternity in hell. So that's pretty harsh. Yeah, it is. But let's look at the, let's understand the context of what he's talking about here. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Blind fools, which is, which is greater? The gold or the sanctuary? That sanctified the gold. Also, whoever takes the oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on, on it is bound by his oath. Blind people, for which is greater? The gift of the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes the oath or the altar takes an oath by it and everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the sanctuary takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits in it. And he goes on and talks about these oaths. He said most of the time the oaths mean nothing. And it's picturesque of somebody who does not really know Jesus Christ. They have no relationship with him. So in all reality, they may take the oath all day long. Well, I swear by the this, I swear by that, and I swear by heaven, I swear by earth. And it means nothing. Because they truly don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what he says here in James chapter 5, verse 12, it begins to make sense. This judgment refers to eternal damnation in hell. The judgment is for those who are characterized by a life of lying, giving further evidence of not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he says this, so that you won't fall under judgment, so that you won't spend eternity in hell. That's the judgment that's translated here. So what's he saying here? If you are... If your testimony is one that of a liar, if your life is characterized by lying, and you're a habitual liar, it gives proof of what's in your heart and, consequently, what's not in your heart. By the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so you speak lies, which means Jesus Christ is not in your heart, further condemning you to judgment or hell for eternity. So over and over he says, this is another test. Over and over we've been looking at things that should be characteristic in the life of a believer. This is one more thing that should be there. If you are truly born again, you know Jesus Christ, you should be speaking the truth. Your yes should mean yes, your no should mean mean no. A couple more passages. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. Here's what he says. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all, what's the word? Liars. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So over and over he makes it very clear. Down to verse 27. Nothing profane will ever enter into it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. So he said... Liars, people whose life is characterized by lying, they're not saved. They'll not spend eternity in heaven. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, 
He further states this. He says, Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices lying. You say, well, boy, that's a big deal. I mean, isn't it, what, I mean, isn't it just a little white lie? I mean, it was no, no. No. God says, if you've been born in Christ, you have a, you're a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5, right? So old things are passed away, all things have become new, and that's the evidence that we truly know Jesus Christ, is that there's a change, a marked difference in our life. We're no longer people who lie. And, of course, all those other things that characterize those who truly don't know Jesus Christ that are mentioned there. So the question is this. What characterizes my life when it, as concerning my mouth and my speech, my talking? If I have to try to convince somebody that I'm going to do something that I've claimed I will do, and I make a false oath, in other words, a lie, what's in my heart? Somebody who doesn't, something, it's the lack of Jesus Christ. So there has to be a marked change. There must be a difference in our life. So in closing, James chapter 5, let's read it one more time. It says, Now above all, my brothers, he puts a lot of emphasis on this because it reveals what's in your heart. It reveals whether you truly know Jesus. Above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. He says, don't even swear by it. Don't make an oath. Do this. Your yes must be yes, and your no must be no, so that you won't fall under the judgment. It gives credence to the fact of whether or not I truly know Jesus Christ. Do I speak the truth? Does my yes mean yes? Or does my no mean no? Am I honest? If I have integrity in my speech? It's a challenge. Because over and over throughout this book, he has given us test after test that ought to be characteristic of someone who truly knows Jesus Christ. So is it that big of a deal? Yeah, because it really determines whether or not we know him. And if we know Him, we should want to what? Please Him. And by pleasing Him, we know what breaks His heart, we know what encourages and blesses His heart. And this is just another test. So let's pray.